0: Mindfulness mode.
1: Any speaker you look up to, you admire, you respect, everybody starts from zero.
0: Hey Mindful Tribe, I am here today with a man who is a master of speaking. And get this: despite starting his speaking career with no audience, no following, and no network, up to this point he's earned over two million from uh, over 500 paid engagements all over the world. He teaches people how to do the same, how to be a a successful speaker. I'm really excited today to talk to Grant Baldwin. Grant, are you in
1: mindfulness mode today? Giddy up, let's do this, Bruce. I'm excited to hang out with
0: you today. Oh, me too. And I know that you must have a high level of mindfulness to be such a successful speaker. What does mindfulness mean to you?
1: Yeah, good question. So I think uh, mindfulness, I think, really involves uh, being fully present. This is one thing I, I try to be very aware of in the in the work that I'm doing uh, with my family. Especially, I'm I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We got three beautiful daughters, and so uh, as much as I enjoy, you know, podcasting and being an entrepreneur and business owner, being a speaker, uh, my most important roles are being a, a good husband, being a good father, and so making sure, especially when I'm with my uh, with my wife, my girls, that I'm fully present, that I'm engaged uh, with them. Um, so I think, in you know, relationally, it's super important, but also um, one of the things I, I try to do on a, on a daily basis is uh, take a few minutes in, in prayer, uh, reading my Bible, uh, and then also uh, trying to get some, some fresh air, get some exercise. So uh, I usually do one of two things. Either I'm taking the dog for a walk around the neighborhood as the sun's coming up in the morning, or uh, lately, I'm, I'm for the past several months, I've been uh, really into uh, a silly game called pickleball. And so I play a lot of pickleball. So I played for a couple hours this morning and just get a good sweat on and uh, just to, to move the body. So yeah, those are a uh, a couple things of what mindfulness looks like in my world. Oh,
0: that's great. And, you know, moving is such an important basic thing to do. You know, we just got to get our body moving. So I'm really glad to hear that that's one of the things that you're doing. Your business is called The Speaker Lab. And I know that you're found at thespeakerlab.com. But going way back, why did you come up with that name? What is behind that?
1: Yeah, I think um, uh, I think when when well, let me back up actually for a second. So when uh, when I was in high school, I was really involved in my local church, and my my youth pastor had a big impact on my life. And, and I was like, I want to do that. Like that seems like a cool a cool gig. And so that's kind of the path I was on. I went to uh, went to Bible college. I was a youth pastor myself for a little while, and it gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. And speaking is one of those things that I felt like I was decent at. I wanted to do more of, but I just didn't know like how do you find gigs and how much do you charge and what do you speak about and like who hires speakers? How does this mysterious black box work. And so uh, I, at the time, this was 17, 18 years ago, so there weren't any podcasts or resources or books about the speaking industry, really. So I found myself just emailing other speakers, stalking them, harassing them, just trying to like, let me pick your brain type stuff, and learned a couple things and started booking some gigs. And uh, eventually, uh, over the next several years, got to a point where I was doing about 60 or 70 paid speaking engagements a year. And then uh, I had a lot of people who asked me kind of those those same questions that I was asking early on going, I want to know how to be a speaker, how do I find gigs? And then what do I speak about? And how much do I charge? And how does this work? And so I started doing some teaching, coaching, training around that. And then realized, hey, there's a I think there's a real opportunity here, real market. I'm, uh, we wanted to create a training company that was helping speakers uh, that I wish I had when I got started. I wish there were the same resources that the speaker lab provides today. And so, you know, whenever you are in a laboratory, you're, you're just kind of you're figuring it out, you're, you're experimenting and trying different things. And so we wanted to provide kind of this, this classroom type environment for speakers and those interested in speaking to say, hey, come here, let's work together. Uh, let's, uh, let's try some stuff that's going to work, try some stuff that may not work, but let's work together to help you build and grow your speaking business so that you can make an impact and income with your message.
0: And what does work with your speaking lab? And when you work with people, what are the, some of the strategies that you use to help others?
1: Yeah, uh, specifically as it relates to finding and booking gigs? Yes. Yeah. So let me do this real quick. Let me, um, uh, we teach what we call the speaker success roadmap. This is a five step process and framework that we teach and kind of walk our students through and it makes the acronym speak. And so, uh, let me just kind of give you a high level overview and then we can kind of jump in wherever you want from there. Uh, and so the S, uh, S in speak stands for select a problem to solve, select a problem to solve. So two key questions that every speaker needs to be clear on. Number one is who do you speak to? And number two, what problem do you solve? Now, the mistake that a lot of speakers make is we, we, feel the need to spread the net as far and wide as possible. And so, you know, who do you speak to? And and sometimes speakers are like, well, I, I speak to humans. I speak to people. My message is for everybody. And like, that doesn't work. And when we ask like, okay, well, what do you speak about? They say, well, what do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything like that. Again, that doesn't work. And so it's counterintuitive, but the more narrow, the more clear, the more focused you are, the easier it is to actually find and book gigs. And so an analogy I like to use is that you want to be the steakhouse and not the buffet, the steakhouse and not the buffet. Meaning, Bruce, if you and I are going to, uh, we're looking for a good steak, like we have a choice. We could go to a buffet where steak is one of a hundred things that they offer and they're all mediocre, or we could go to a steakhouse where they do one thing, but they do that one thing really, really, really well. So they don't do seafood, they don't do pasta, they don't do tacos, they do steak and that's it. And uh, a steakhouse may be like, but but we don't appeal to vegetarians. Like that's okay. You're not trying to appeal to vegetarians, you're not trying to appeal to everybody, you still have one. One specific problem for one specific audience. So that's the S. The next part of the process is P, to prepare your talk. So be really, really clear on what is the solution that you provide to the problem that you're going to be solving. And how are you going to provide that solution? So that could come in the form of a keynote or a workshop or a breakout or a seminar or a webinar. Could be in person, it could be virtual. There's a lot of different options that you could could choose uh, and paths that you could go down in terms of how you deliver that solution. Next part of the process is E, establish yourself as the expert. So there's two key marketing assets that every speaker needs. Number one is a website and number two is a demo video. So a website in this day and age, if you don't have a website, it's hard for people to take you seriously. You do not exist. And so you need to have a website. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, just a simple one page website. Uh, And then also a demo video. Now what exactly is a demo video? So think of this kind of like a movie trailer. So before you would go see a movie, you wanna see the trailer. And a trailer is basically, you take a two hour movie, you boil it down to two or three minutes. And within those two or three minutes, you have an idea of who's in it, what's the plot, what's the theme, what's the genre, what's the movie about. And the point of a demo video and the point of a movie trailer is to make you want to see more. And so an event planner decision maker who's considering hiring you, they they don't need to see like an entire speech of yours, they just need to see a couple of minutes to kind of get a sense of, are you a good fit? Are you a quality speaker? Would you be a good fit for their event? So you need a a website and a demo video. Uh, Next part of the process A is acquire paid speaking gigs, acquire paid speaking gigs. Now, This is the part that people wanna fast forward to, man, just tell me how to book gigs, right? But this is where you also have to have these foundational pieces in place first. Now, once you get to this point, the mistake that some speakers make is, okay, I have my website, I have my demo video, I know who I speak to, I know what what problem I solve. uh, And now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring. And it does not work like that. If you build it, they will not come. So your mom is thrilled with your website, she's gonna tell both of her friends, nobody else cares. So it's important then that we start the momentum, we start the process here getting the word out. And so this means being much more proactive rather than reactive, rather than waiting for someone to find us. We have to have a process and system for how do you actually reach out to follow up with decision makers and event planners who are looking for the uh, the solution that you can provide. And then the last part of the process is K is know when to scale, know when to scale, meaning a lot of people who are interested in speaking are also interested in writing a book or coaching or consulting or doing a course or doing a podcast or doing a YouTube channel. And that's fine. You can do all the things but you can't do all the things at once. So something's going to come first. Something's going to come last. You've got to be really clear about how does speaking fit into the mix of what it is that you want to accomplish. So again, that's kind of a high level drinking from a fire hose kind of overview of what we teach. But in terms of like, how do you even get started? Like, that's what we teach is, is uh, the speaker success roadmap. And do you suggest your clients to do a TEDx talk? I mean, a TEDx talk is fine. Um, I don't think it's, uh, I think one mistake that a lot of speakers make is they really over index on a TEDx talk and they think, okay, all I got to do is do a TEDx talk and then I'm off to the races and that's going to set my career up forever. It's like, it just doesn't work like that. Like we have seen examples of that, but that is a very, very, very small percentage of people. And in fact, most TEDx pr- uh, presentations, uh, they never go viral and they certainly, and some, a lot of them don't even make it online. And so don't think that you're just going to do a TEDx talk and that's going to change anything. I think a TEDx talk can be really, really good experience and a good uh, at bat. But just don't um, don't assume or think that I uh, have this false idea that I'm going to do a TEDx talk and that's going to change everything for me because it just it doesn't work like that. Well,
0: you wrote a book called The Successful Speaker. How did that help you in your uh, career? Did it help you a lot?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when when I think part of the the question there is like, you know, do speakers need to have a book, you know, and does having a book make a difference? I think it can, I think it can, it can help. But uh, I think there's definitely a misconception that if you have a book, that it's automatically going to change everything for you in the same way that, you know, if you do a TEDx talk, it's going to change everything for you. And it just it it doesn't like a a book is nice. But there's also plenty of speakers who have incredibly successful careers who do not have a book. And so you don't necessarily have to have a book. Um, If you're going to do a book, uh, it's important to make sure that there's alignment between what you're speaking about and what your book is about. So, if there are two vastly different topics or on vastly different for vastly different audiences, then you, you're going to lack the congruency there for it to be uh, effective at all. And another thing to think through and be aware of is if you don't have a, let's say you're, you're getting started and you're going, okay, I don't have a, um, uh, I haven't really done any speaking and I don't have a book, which comes first? And it's kind of this chicken egg situation. I always recommend that you start with speaking because the, the challenge with the book is, Once you write the book, it's done. It's finished, and it's hard to go back and tweak and edit and like, oh, I, you know, I want to take this story out. I want to modify this. But whenever you speak, it, you get that real-time feedback. You actually see someone, and you see people's faces. Are they taking notes? Are they confused? Do they have questions? Are they, is this, are they having some aha light bulb type of moments? And so, one of the things I find is that when you do a, a speech or presentation, each time you get that feedback, it makes the talk better. And what can what you can do is you're doing kind of this real-world testing and figuring out exactly. Exactly what works exactly what people's questions are on a certain topic and then over time after you've done enough speeches and you feel like the talk's really dialed in you use a lot of that content to then create the book because you've already basically field tested it versus creating the book in a vacuum and then you're just hoping that you got it right and trying to speak on that so um uh, to the kind of the original question do you have to have a book in order to be a speaker absolutely not
0: Yeah. I want to talk about fear. A lot of people believe they want to be a speaker, but there's that fear there. And fear is something that a lot of people think of. As soon as you start to mention the topic of doing public speaking, how can you use mindfulness techniques to move through that fear and become a successful speaker?
1: Yeah, great question. So. Uh, i think oftentimes fear can be confused with just adrenaline and kind of excitement and and i think it's certainly something that you should be paying attention to I, I think there's also kind of this misconception that you know the best speakers in the world that they they never get nervous and they just always feel like that that's not the case at all i think uh, I, I know even for myself and a lot of speakers i know that are very successful speakers they uh we still get nervous right we still have some of those butterflies and it, again it's easy to confuse kind of this fear with adrenaline and just kind of the excitement of the moment and so whenever you are doing that that, it's, it's oftentimes the body's way of reminding us that what we are doing is significant. It's important. It matters. Like this is a, a big deal. Pay attention. And so you think about like other times you've had similar feelings. So I think about for me, when, um, uh, when I got engaged to my wife or when my daughters were born or, you know, some type of, um, you know, big speech or something where you, you just kind of feel some of those similar type of feelings and emotions. And it's not this fear of like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be a disaster and I'm going to fail, but it's just kind of like your, again, your body's way of saying, Hey, Hey, heads up like this, This is important. Lock in here. And so the the question is kind of like, okay, what what do you do to make sure that that doesn't become like debilitating and doesn't just become overwhelming for you as a speaker? And so a couple things I would say one is that um, the the best speakers on the planet really spend a lot of time to practice to rehearse to prepare, and it gives a level of confidence. So a way to kind of think about this is, if you think back to uh, high school or college or university, and you remember taking some type of test or an exam, and and you have a choice, like you could kind of go in and just kind of like wing it and just kind of like, I'm just kind of go through the motions here and hopefully it all magically works out in which case it doesn't or it's like, okay, I'm going to really spend the time to practice. I'm going to go through practice exams and study questions and review my notes. I'm going I'm to put in the work. And so when I show up there, I still, again, may feel some of that trepidation, but there's also a level of calm and confidence because I've, I've done the work. I've practiced it. I've gone over it time and time and time again. And so the same thing is true with speaking. If you just get up there and you're like, I'm just going to wing it and I hope it all works out. That doesn't work. I would not recommend that at all. But when you spend the time to practice and rehearse and go over it time and time again, and you come up there with a little bit more calm confidence and going like, okay, I've, I've done this before. Also, that so that confidence tends to come with time. Uh, you know, the way that you get better as a speaker is you speak. And the way you get better as a writer is you write. The way you get better as a podcaster is you podcast. And so the first time you do anything is probably not going to be as good as the time that you, you know, the hundredth time that you do it. But the more you practice, the more reps you have, the more you continue to build that confidence. And you know that that, that fear, that adrenaline may still be there, but it's not nearly as loud as maybe it was in the beginning.
0: And what are your thoughts on visuals, on using a PowerPoint of some kind? Is that something that you you recommend always or what are your thoughts
1: uh, I, I think there, there's pros and cons to it. And so I personally don't really use PowerPoints whenever I'm presenting in person. Uh, I think that a mistake that a lot of speakers make is they use PowerPoint as a crutch. And so what I always recommend is if you're going to use PowerPoint or slides of some kind, uh, that you need to use that as an enhancement, not a replacement for your presentation. So I'll give an example. I remember a couple of years ago, I was at a, uh, a workshop and I remember there was a uh, I was sitting there and the the, um, the presenter was like getting up, getting their slides set up and something that wasn't working with the technology or the projector or something. And they, they were kind of like, hang on just a second. I'm, you know, I'm working on this. And they, they basically said, uh, I can't speak unless my slides work. And then in which case, like. Well, you're not ready. You know, you shouldn't be up there in the first place. And so uh, like a good kind of litmus test for you is if five minutes before you're going on to speak, the slides don't work, the projector breaks, the computer has an issue, whatever happens. Can are you still ready? Is your talk good enough to stand on its own? Or if you're like, oh no, I, I can't possibly like, well then it doesn't work. So again, it should be an enhancement, not a replacement for your for your talk. So there's nothing wrong with slides. Like, what it's one thing to describe something; it's another thing to show a visual of that. Uh, and so slides can be incredibly, incredibly powerful and effective. But it's also possible to to uh, to to use them in a in a poor way that that takes away from the speech rather than adds to it.
0: Right. Yeah, I appreciate that. I always ask a question about bullying because I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for a long time. Do you have a a story that you can share with us? Uh, Maybe it's a personal story. Maybe it's about one of your clients where there was a bullying situation and maybe mindfulness would have made a difference as to how to deal with it.
1: Um, I I was trying to think from like a speaking perspective, I don't know that I've necessarily ever had like a, like a hostile crowd, so to speak, but there are certainly times where, where situations happen that are outside of your control and something that maybe happens in in the environment or the room. I'll give you a couple of examples that come to mind. One, uh, I remember several years ago, I was speaking in a, I I did a lot in the education space, speaking at school assemblies. And so I did a lot of high school assemblies. And so one time I was speaking and, um, it was like the Friday before spring break. And so it's like, I'm the last thing, last thing of the day. And so the only, thing standing between, you know, several hundred teenagers and spring break is me. And so they don't, they don't care at all what I have to say. Right. Yeah. And so partway through the presentation, I remember the the, uh, announcement comes over the the PA system that um, the girls volleyball team was dismissed to go to their game. Right. So they had an away game and so they're dismissed. And so you've got a couple dozen girls all over this gymnasium standing up and starting to leave. Well, then you also have a, a bunch of like teenage guys just being goofy and dumb and they start standing up and leaving. So, all of a sudden you just have, you know, we've got 30, 40, 50 people just all over the room, just leaving. And some that were clearly supposed to, some that were clearly not supposed to. And it's just kind of like this chaos of this moment, right? So you have stuff like that happens. I remember one time I was speaking and a, um, a dog comes running into the room and just comes zipping around, like nobody's paying attention. Everybody's distracted. Uh, I remember one time speaking at a, um, it was at a camp and we were kind of in this like metal building and there was a, a big storm that came in and uh, it was hailing like really, really bad. And I mean, and just like super, super loud in this like metal tin building. And you just feel like, holy cow, like this thing's going to collapse. We're all going <laughs> to die at any moment, right? Yeah. So like there, there's certainly those moments that happen that are just outside of your control, some type of crazy situation that happens. And so, yeah, I think it's important to, as a speaker, to, to recognize like what you can control, what are the things that you can't do anything about? I think um, one of the things I remind speakers uh, after speech, and you're kind of just reviewing, playing it back, like, okay, what worked, what didn't work? Uh, there's three factors that really go into whether or not a a speech or presentation worked or went well. One is going to be you. Uh, Did you, did you do the work? Were you prepared? Did you show up ready? Or did you just, again, kind of wing it and go through the motions and didn't bring your best? So you're a factor. Another factor is going to be the audience. Did they bring their best? Uh, Meaning like, I'll give an example. Let's say, for example, uh, you're going to be speaking to a group of of sales reps. Okay. You're going to speak to a group of sales reps. And right before you speak, the VP of sales hops up and says, Hey, you know, last question order, sales were down quite a bit, and so unfortunately, we're going to have to lay off 30 uh, percent uh, of, of you. Um, we're going to talk about that later, but for now, please welcome our next speaker, Cramp. You know, it's like it doesn't matter what I say; right. like they're not going to hear anything, right? Yeah. So one factor is going to be the 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 audience. Uh, another factor is going to be the environment. Okay, so let me give an example of that. Um, I remember a couple years ago speaking at an event in New Jersey, and uh, I was they I was speaking to an audience of 2,000 people in a room that that could hold 2,000 people. Well, that's that's. perfect. Perfect. That's exactly what you want. But uh, right afterwards, they had me do a workshop with about 50 people, and they had me do it in that same room. And so, a a room that seats 2,000 people with 2,000 people in it is awesome. It's exactly what you're looking for. But a room that seats 2,000 people and there's 50 people in it is not at all what you're looking for. So the environment is not at all conducive uh, to what it is that you're looking for. So all that to say, there's a lot of different variables and factors that go into like whether or not a, a speech worked, or or what are the things that you can improve, what are the things that you can do something about. So. I think just going all the way back to the original question of just being aware, like of, of the situation, the surroundings, what are the things that you can control? What are the things that are outside of your control?
0: Grant, I want to uh, ask you five quick answer questions as we move forward in the inter- interview. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a really powerful mindfulness kind of influence in the speaking world for you?
1: Yeah. So one guy that comes to mind is a, a guy by the name of Phil Boyd. Uh, B-O-Y-T-E. And Phil was a, a, a very early influence for me. He's a phenomenal speaker, but uh, an even better human being uh, off the stage and great husband, great father, uh, just great mentor. And so he was someone who uh, was always very encouraging, very kind, and uh, someone that was a, a great speaker, but that but really has had a big influence and an uh, and impact in my life. Okay,
0: Uh, my second question is about emotions and uh, your emotions can just be crazy when you're a speaker and you're about to speak or something happens on the stage. But uh, when it comes to your emotions, how has mindfulness helped you deal with them?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think one thing that has helped me a lot is I, I tend to be a pretty even-keeled guy. So the highs aren't too high, the lows mm-hmm. aren't too low. And so I think similar to to speaking, you know, when we were talking about what are the things you can and can't control, I think that that's true in in just in life in general. You know, re- regardless of whether you're on a stage or not. And so, you know, we were talking, uh, uh I was a couple of minutes late for this interview because my wife's car was having some issues. Right. We were trying to sort that out. You know, it's kind of one of those, like just frustrating, annoying, stressful things. And, and I am kind of, you know, it's one of the things that like, it, it could ruin my day. It could ruin my morning. Or you're just like, you know what? Like those things happen. Like cars break down, cars have issues. And like, that's, that's part of it. And so. What do we do and how do we fix it? And how do we move forward? And like, again, that that's life. And so uh, I think just just, uh, again, realizing and recognizing what are the things you can do something about? And what are the things you, you don't have any control over?
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, my next question is about breathing. And uh, we haven't really talked about that. You haven't really mentioned it. Are there any aspects of breathing that can really help you as a speaker?
1: Yeah, I think uh um I think whenever you are backstage I mean there's uh, there's a lot of speakers who do a lot of different things and some you know they are listening to you know, some type of music to hype them up, and some just want to be very quiet and still, and and just focus on their breathing. And um, I, I think really kind of the figuring out what works best for you. There's not necessarily you have to do this or you have to do that, um, but ultimately whatever gets you into that 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 um, that space and that zone where you're like, okay, I'm 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 locked in and I'm ready to go. So breathing is certainly one of those things of you know taking some long breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth. Uh, And really kind of slowing your heart rate and just kind of like calming some of the the nerves or or anxiety that you may feel can certainly be very effective. Sure.
0: Are there any books that you recommend that can uh, help with the mindfulness part of speaking? I know that your book, The Successful Speaker, is a great book to get your hands on. Any other books?
1: Uh, specifically as it relates to mindfulness for speakers, I mean, nothing, nothing nef- necessarily comes to mind. Um, but I, I mean, I definitely—I know I'm certainly biased, but I would definitely recommend the successful speaker. Um, and, and so within the, the, speak- the successful speaker, like we're going to talk through like what are the, the steps that speak framework that we covered and talked about earlier, the steps that you need to take to actually book gigs. But there's also like a a big part of the mindset that that is a big factor in your success as a speaker. Um, and so, you know, there I think a big thing is like treating, treating this like a business and treating this like a, no, I'm. I'm not going to just put out a website and just hope people magically find it, but I'm, I'm not going to treat this as a hobby or a pastime, but I'm going to be really intentional about it. And whenever I, I speak that I'm going to have a level of confidence that I'm going to do the work and be prepared so that I, I show up and I, I bring my best.
0: Are there any apps that you recommend uh, that people can use to help them with this?
1: Yeah. So, uh, one app, uh, let me pull it up here real quick. There's an app that I use called strides. Um, and one of the things that I use strides for is it's kind of like a, it's a daily habits type, uh, tracking app. Okay. And so I use that each day. And so there's six or seven things that I do in the morning that I want to make sure that I, I do that just kind of like, um, primes my pump for the day and make sure that I'm off to a good start. So, uh, strides is, is a, a good habit tracking I'll, app.
0: I'll check that out. I haven't tried that one yet. Uh, so, as we wrap up the interview, do you have any final words of advice for anybody out there who feels like speaking might be right for them but they're not quite sure how to move forward or they have some some fears and some, some you know things holding them back?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of times those, those in that internal dialogue that you have with yourself is the questions like, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Um, You know, can I, can I actually do this? And those are totally normal, natural questions. And so I think it's, it's important to remember that any speaker you look up to, you admire, you respect, everybody starts from zero. Mm. There was a time where, you know, any speaker you look up to, uh, a Tony Robbins, a Brene Brown, a whoever, they had done zero gigs, and then they did their First gig, so you can't be looking at them where they are today and think, ah, oh, I could never be that good. Or like that, they they didn't start there. They didn't just come out of the womb. Amazing. They took baby steps to get to that point. The other thing I would remind speakers of is, especially when you're getting started, that everything that that we've walked through, that we that we teach our students and clients, is it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It still requires work. It still requires discipline. So I like to think of it like. Um, like this, I, I'm no health nutrition expert at all, but, uh, if you wanted to lose 10 pounds, what do you need to do? Well, you need to do two things. You need to pay attention to what you eat and you need to exercise. That's it. That's a very simplified version. I'm sure there's much more to it, but uh, it's simple. Like, oh, just pay attention to exercise. Well, if that's the case, then all of us would be, you know, skinny and in great health. But like, that's not the reality. So it's simple, but it's not easy. And so what we teach and what we work with uh, our students on is it's simple, but it's not easy. It still requires work. It still requires effort. It still requires discipline. But if you're willing to put in that work and effort, you absolutely can get booked and paid to speak
0: yeah well thanks for being on the show thanks for all your wisdom your words of advice really appreciate it grant and thanks for doing what you do to help people get out there in the world and and share their message
1: awesome thanks bruce i really appreciate it
0: okay bye now hey mindful tribe thanks for listening to the episode today and again i want to thank my sponsor athletic greens and i will ask you this question which i've asked you before do you care about your health to the extent that you would like to improve your immune system make it stronger you want to just up the ante as far as uh, becoming even more healthy than you already are well athletic greens offers this product called AG one and it is a product that you mix with water And it uh, provides you with so many nutrients. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no awful chemicals or artificial ingredients. It supports better sleep and better alertness. It just uses the best products based on the latest science and it costs less than $3 a day. And if you buy using my affiliate link, you'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. So this affiliate link uh, benefits me, it benefits you. Just go to athleticgreens.com mindfulness. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.